is, do we need the Bible alone or do we need the Bible with Rome? And I think we agree upon that. So you got the first two to three minutes. Go ahead. Uh, I'll make it three minutes even for both of us. And just go ahead and, and tell us uh, why we need Rome along with the Bible. So let's, let's get it going on. Well, um, if I may, uh, well, I would say that I consider the doctrine, and we as Catholics consider the doctrine of Sola Scriptura, uh, which was the Latin name, as he explained earlier, for the Bible, or the Scripture alone, literally. Uh, and uh, that position would hold uh, that Scripture alone is the authority, and there is no other, so to speak, authority needed outside of Scripture. Uh, I consider that position very wrong-headed, and in fact, unscriptural. Um, there are a couple ways in which I could say that that's pretty wrong, and, and the things that I'll point out right away. Uh, the first one would be, of course, the canon of Scripture. Which books are in the Bible? Because, of course, the Bible cannot rule on that, so Scripture alone obviously fails uh, to define which books are in and without the canon. So that would be the first question, and that would require at least some external authority. Uh, the second would be, I would refer to the New Testament in terms of its uh, interpretation of Scripture, uh, and I consider sola scriptura very unscriptural. So uh, the first thing I would point out in, in terms of my second point would be Second Thessalonians 2.15. Uh, so then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. Uh, so it clearly states that there are at least two different, I guess you could say, avenues of, of Scripture, uh, of the Word of God, which comes to us either in the unwritten traditions, so to speak, with a, with a large T, those things that St. Paul, the Apostles, and Christ taught, uh, which help us to interpret Scripture. And you also find that in Acts of the Apostles with Philip and the eunuch, where the, where the eunuch says, how am I to interpret unless I shall have been taught, unless someone instruct me? Uh, and you can also find many other references, such as Second Peter 1, 20-21, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Uh, so, that's, in a short realm, what our position is. And Rome is, in terms of a short term, that is just the term for the leadership on earth uh, of Christ's church, those who Christ said, whoever receives you receives me. Uh, and he gave them the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So we consider the tradition, the authority that they interpreted Scripture with from Christ, and we consider them reliable guides to interpreting what Scripture means, whereas Scripture alone can't interpret itself. Go on, Pastor. Great job. Thank you. Okay, uh, I'm going to defer to uh, Pastor Troy, and we won't gang up on you. We'll, we'll share the same amount of time, but that's okay. Uh, so, Pastor Troy, uh, I'm going to let you speak on, on, on our behalf as Protestants. So, uh, you got it, man. You got, uh, by the way, that was only two minutes, my friend. So, you actually would have a minute extra uh, for three minutes if you want to take that next time. Uh, so, go ahead, Pastor Troy. You're on. I, I really guess I'd, I'd like to take my time to just ask a couple questions. Do you... Uh, do you believe in the uh, Catholic catechism that was prepared following the Second Vatican uh, Ecumenical Council? Yeah, so I believe in the in what uh, the Catholic catechism teaches, the catechism of the Catholic Church. Yeah. Okay, I'm just I'm just thinking about uh, in paragraph 773 of the catechism. It says that Mary goes before us all in the holiness that is in the Church's mystery Excuse as the me, bride without spot or Pardon? Oh, I just said, hold on just a second to let me pull that up. Thank you. Sure, go ahead, go ahead. And what That's was the paragraph 773. number? 773. Okay, thank you. Go ahead. Take your time. Uh, well, it says there, if you're reading it, it says, Mary goes before us all in the holiness that is the church's mystery as the bride 
without spot or wrinkle. And I guess my question for you, do you consider Mary the bride or do you consider the church the bride? Well, the church is the bride, and as 773, in terms of that, uh, it clearly talks about uh, the Mary is the image of the church. So, in fact, both of them are, so to speak, she is a reflection of the church's history as the bride without spot or wrinkle. So that's yeah. exactly what it says. Okay, now, let me let me just look at a couple of scriptures, just give you a couple of scriptures, references, Ephesians 5, 25, uh, husbands love your wives, 21 through 25. Uh, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify yeah. and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, etc. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Then 2 Corinthians 11, 2. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Okay, that scripture, you, you made the point that Mary is called the reflection of the church. Where, where do you find that at? Biblically. Well, that would be from... Well, that would be from Revelation, in fact, where Revelation speaks of uh, the, the woman in heaven, uh, and she is, in a manner of speaking, the image of the church. And we see that uh, because uh, in the New Testament, um, the Christ, of course, according to St. Paul in Romans, is, of course, the new Adam. And in Galatians, I believe, he's also called the new Adam. I might be mistaken. Um, but nevertheless, Christ is the new Adam, uh, and Mary reflects the new Eve. And as Eve was the mother of all the living, uh, so Mary is an image of that and is the mother of the church. And Christ, for example, makes those statements on the cross, uh, Son, behold your mother, uh, which we take as indicative of the entire church, uh, in a manner of speaking. But I think Marian devotion, frankly, is not uh, a matter of... I think we're getting off topic, because we were talking earlier about scriptural authority and where we derive authority, and I think we've really uh, come far off the... Uh, or off the workforce, so uh, I think we should try to get back on topic. Yeah, well, I, I don't think we Pastor, are. I guess my Pastor Troy. Is, I mean, we could. Excuse me, Pastor Troy. Let that, me, let me, Pastor Troy. That's that's three right. minutes. That was three minutes. And uh, Pastor Troy, I would agree with him there that that was a little bit off the subject. So if you could tie it back in for uh, for your next three minutes, and uh, it's it's back on you, uh, my brother, uh, Saint Michael. Go for it. Okay. Well, uh, we were talking a little bit there about one of our particular beliefs, and I don't think that was particularly pertinent um, to what we were talking about, uh, but I, I could see where maybe he's trying to go with it, which is that, of course, Marian devotion is somehow unscriptural. Uh, however, I think that's uh, very wrong-headed, uh, because, of course, Scripture speaks very highly of Mary, and the praises that we, we give to our Blessed Mother uh, are titles that are in Scripture. So, for example, the, the famous prayer we say is the Ave Maria, the Hail Mary, uh, and, of course, the first words there uh, you know, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women, uh, are all from, of course, the Gospel of Luke, the Annunciation of the Angel Gabriel to uh, Mary. Uh, and uh, we also, of course, pray the words of St. Elizabeth, uh, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Uh, and uh, we also, of course, pray uh, during each day, we pray the Magnificat, which is the, uh, the words of our Blessed Mother. Uh, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So all of, I think, our devotions to the Blessed Virgin are very scriptural, uh, and I think they're all consonant with the spirit of the early church. So you'll find uh, in the earliest um, you know, documents or history we have of the church uh, a strong devotion to the Blessed Mother, and it's also in scripture. So, for example, in Acts, uh, during Pentecost, of course, who is leading the apostles in prayer in the upper room before the Holy Spirit comes? The Blessed Virgin. And so, too, she was... Uh, 
preeminent among the apostles and among the early disciples of Christ as one of the most perfect followers uh, of Christ. And we consider that very scriptural, but again, I think that's kind of off-topic. So to go back to what we were saying, I think that scripture, of course, can't interpret itself. So we, we have an analogy in the United States between we have something like a constitution, which, of course, is our you know, authority as to how we you know, rule the U.S., how, what, what rule we are held to as leaders and as uh, legislators in the United States. However, the, the Constitution, of course, cannot interpret itself, which is, you know, the, the big dispute, for example. I'm sure you'd agree with me. I'm sure you're against abortion, as I am. Uh, and so the Roe versus Wade controversy was an interpretation of the rights uh, granted in, in, the, uh, in the Constitution, in the amendments of the Constitution, uh, as whether or not there would be a right to privacy found. Uh, and whereas the Supreme, well, you would see then the necessity for uh, having a Supreme Court to interpret whether or not such a right was actually found in the Constitution. In the same way, I'd say Christ himself uh, established, and it's a necessary establishment, of a Supreme Court, so to speak, uh, to uh, help us decide over Scripture, uh, what exactly Scripture means, uh, and it's guided by the Holy Spirit, uh, along with uh, the uh, the other unwritten sort of things he passed down along with Scripture, which we which you could analogize to like case law or precedent. Uh, so, if I may, I think that's uh, your ball now. Uh, Pastor Can you Troy, hear me? Yes, Pastor Troy, could Sorry. I go? Is it okay if I go for a second, yeah, and I'll okay. give you the second next one? Uh, okay. Uh, the first scripture that you brought up was Second uh, Thessalonians two fifteen. And uh, what I would ask you in your next, uh, in your next uh, three minutes to show me in church history, in the life of Paul, and in the life of the, uh, the apostles, where the other traditions, the other things, are things that are not contained inside of Scripture. It says, Therefore, brethren, hold fast to the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. We can use that Scripture as, pro as Protestants, and we can say that the traditions that Paul is referring to, obviously, are the other things he's mentioned in Corinthians and Hebrews and in Romans, etc., etc. So it is your job to show us where those traditions are meant to be, other traditions and things already written in Scripture. What he is saying by that Scripture is that I am not going to refer you back to everything we have taught you, whether we are in word or the letters we've written to others, just do those things. So you have to show us that there are things outside of Scripture that are only in tradition that give us things that are beneficial for our life and godliness. And I will put that Scripture up here, which is the anthem for the, uh, the person who believes in sola scriptura. I will put that up here now. And it says uh, in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, Paul himself said this. He said that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So I want you to show me good works that come outside of Scripture. Therefore, if you can, then Scripture is lying to us there. But if Scripture is telling us the truth, then that means Scripture alone is all that we need for all of our good works. So that will lie upon you for your next three minutes. Also, then you went to the very process of canonization, and you make it sound like we as Protestants have to choose one or the other. Like the Bible has to somehow evolve from God directly to the pages we handle, uh, have it in, or the Roman Catholic Church has to be involved in that process, where actually there's a middle ground that the Protestant can embrace quite easily where the Catholic has a problem. And that is that we say that 
that God used the disciples, disciples, the early church, the patristic fathers, to help discern what was the Bible. This was not the Roman Catholic Church. One of the biggest fallacies that you have already made and that the Roman Catholic Church makes is that you embrace all the patristic fathers as if they are Roman Catholic like how you are today. And there's two fallacies with that. Number one, the first fallacy is, is that the Roman Catholic Church was not officially established until around the Council of Nicaea. And so the doctrines that establish you as having a pope and having the, uh, the, the priesthood and all of the doctrines that would make you a Catholic today, and you yourself would agree that these things make you a Catholic, were not even present during the apostolic age of the first and second centuries. Okay, And then the second fallacy that you embrace by that is that the people... People within the canonization all acknowledge that somehow they were being guided by one one church, one one body of believers under a hierarchy, and they absolutely weren't. That is why Paul could rebuke Peter. That is why when Paul writes to the people of Corinth, he says, you're having problems choosing between me, Apollos, and Peter and Jesus, because at that time they regarded the words of God coming from the apostles of God, and we can describe how Peter knew that Paul's writings were scripture, and how they recognized their own scripture within the patristic fathers but they did not call this to be one authoritarian movement it was just the body of Christ Catholic meaning universal so one and two really come together similarly uh, in a unique fashion saying you have to prove to us that the patristic fathers were undoubtedly Catholic like how you are Roman Catholic today so those two points I think are, are destroyed we've shown you that the traditions must come from other places uh, the traditions must be things listed outside of scripture and number two you must prove to us that the patristic fathers the early church fathers were catholic like you are catholic go for it man okay um let me try to go right down down the list the first thing you quoted was of course second timothy uh let's see what that was two three sixteen i'm sorry uh it says all scripture is inspired and useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness now, the first error you made was you said useful in all good work, uh, and you somehow jumped as to how I'm saying that good works are useful apart from Scripture. I, I don't see that, that link there, uh, and I don't think it follows. I'm not saying anything about good works as occurring apart from Scripture, uh, and I don't think that's the important part, in fact, of, of that passage. The question is where uh, the canon comes from. And, of course, you know in Second Timothy, uh, that St. Paul is not referring to the New Testament. He's not referring to the Gospels, because, of course, they weren't written when Second Timothy was written. He's not referring to the book of Revelation. He's not referring to his own letter. He is referring, of course, as the rest of Timothy is talking about, to the Old Testament, to the Old Testament which was given to Timothy. He's writing, of course, to Timothy, who is a bishop of a particular church in Asia Minor, and he's telling him, uh, in fact, that his mother, those things that his, his grandmother uh, has passed on and his mother has passed on to him to hold as true, that he should hold to them. Uh, he is not talking, in fact, uh, about St. Paul's letters. So if you want to make the case that that is a verse, of course, saying inspiration is true, well, it doesn't apply to that very verse. Uh, and second, again, the problem is the canon. You have not defined the canon. Second Timothy 3.16, there's no reason why 3.16, uh, Second Timothy should be in the canon by reason of this verse. A verse cannot prove itself. That's circular reasoning. Uh, you have to appeal to some authority outside of it. In terms of then you say the church fathers are not Catholic, uh, and the first thing you do is you say that, in co- of course, somehow you have a, uh, some sort of authority as to where the church fathers came to the conclusion and, and assembled this. 
Well, the problem with that is then it's not sola scriptura. That would mean that the Holy Spirit was able to act through men uh, outside of Scripture to compile Scripture. And, of course, that is exactly what happened, and that's what we believe is exact. I mean, that's what we believe as Catholics. That, will, that would be what we would call uh, tradition with a capital T, was, of course, those things passed on from Christ that were eventually written down in Scripture, and some of them were preserved uh, by word of mouth. And, in fact, that is both in what I just quoted in Second Timothy. It was also in, as I said before, I had the other quote from, let me get it up, uh, that would be the Second uh, Peter, uh, you can also find uh, another part of that in Second John 12, and you can also find that in 1 Corinthians 11, 2. Uh, but regardless, you also find the statement that there are things outside of tradition from the end of the Gospel of John, where he explicitly says uh, there are many more things which neither any book in heaven nor on earth could contain. Uh, no, that I can't remember the exact verse because I don't have it in front of me, but that many books would not exist to write down all the things, of course, that Christ did. So hence, of course, there are at least some things that exist apart from Scripture, uh, which, of course, are not contained therein. Uh, and there's also places, of course, where I believe it's St. John or uh, possibly uh, St. Paul, but I believe it's St. John in his letters, says, of course, I will set all things in order when I come, which, of course, would imply uh, that uh, things are not all in Scripture. Uh, and actually, I just remembered, there's one, of course, in 1 Corinthians, uh, where, of course, St. Paul is talking about the institution of the Eucharist, and he says, hold to that which has been passed on to me as I pass it on to you. Uh, and then that's where he says, of course, I will set all things in order when I come, which is he's talking about on the night before he died, he took bread, gave thanks, etc. Uh, and he's describing the early celebration of the Eucharist. So, yes, I think the early church was pretty Catholic, uh, and that's, in fact, what happened. Uh, I also would refer to Saint, uh, to Christ's own words, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, uh, and so forth, whatever you bind on earth. That's a clear institution of authority. He's using the, uh, the words from the book of Ezra, uh, I believe, is what, it, what it's from about the authority given to the uh, interpreters of the law. Have I used up my time, Pastor? Yeah, you have uh, ten seconds counting down. Well, if I may, the Catholic Church did exist before Nicaea, uh, and uh, many of the early church fathers were Catholic. I would refer you to the Didache and to Ignatius of Antioch, but, of course, I don't have that yet. Uh, uh, and, of course, we can rebuke people now, but uh, I would say Peter is still the head of the church, uh, and that's not an issue of rebuking. Uh, so you're all, Pastor. Okay, uh, Pastor Troy is going to uh, take it from this point, and then I'll see what's going on from here. So, Pastor Troy, you're on. Well, I'm, I'm hearing such a, a conflict in what he said. You know, he brought up the point that, uh, you know, Paul writing his letter to Timothy, he made the, uh, the point about uh, all scriptures given by inspiration of, of God and proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. And so he makes the point that, you know, Paul is, is you know, what, what scripture was he talking about since uh, the, the, the New Testament was still in its... Uh, uh, formative stages and, and you know that's a fair question it's and really the answer is and, and he said this then he uh nearly contradicts himself immediately afterwards and that what paul was speaking of was genesis to, to malachi and you'll you'll find in the really you'll find the entire new testament teachings in the new testament gospel message in the old testament because it declares declares what is sin and the fall of man repentance it declares the need for a savior the prophecies of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the message of salvation by trusting and believing in Christ, the Messiah. Uh, and the New Testament, if you will do a study, it has 
just literally thousands of Old Testament verses quoted by the writers, and they explained how these prophecies are all fulfilled in Christ and how God now writes his laws on the heart of the man by the Holy Spirit instead of written on laws of stone tablets. And so with the, the Old Testament talking about where those writings came, in that same Old Testament that he mentioned, that Paul spoke of, is the same Old Testament that condemns idolatry, it condemns the exaltation of man, uh, prayer to the dead saints, the, the penalty of unrepentant sin, and, and all these rebellious acts that are perpetuated by the Roman Catholic Church against God's Word. And these are the very same scriptures that, that Paul said are able to make you wise unto salvation or profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And so, you know, we see these words in which the, the New Testament, the, the writings of the Apostle, and they wrote uh, to the early church Christians, they explained, basically they explained the Old Testament. And, you know, they read these in their synagogues every week and how the Old Testament scriptures were fulfilled in Christ. And they were copied, you know, I think within the lifespan of these apostles, probably 24,000 copies were made and sent to other churches. And they were immediately considered to be the inspired work of the Holy Spirit and were considered scripture by the earliest church fathers. And, you know, you can look and read uh, on the early church fathers. Uh, just think about probably a thousand pages from Ignatius, who lived from A.D. 30 to 107, and Justin Martyr and Arrhenius, and, and really long before St. Jerome uh, even translated the apostles' writing from Greek to Latin. You'll, you'll see him speak of the New Testament writings as we see them today, and they're all said they're scriptures. And they, they quoted from these, and they used these writings uh, that the apostles used to lead people to Christ. And they taught clearly that the born-again message uh, is, is the message of the kingdom, which the Roman Catholic Church denies is necessary to even enter the kingdom of God. And all these men quoted from the scriptures in their writings, and their own writings uh, uh, bring great damage to the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church as we know it today. You know, Arrhenius, uh, holding pure uh, biblical doctrine, as you will see in a moment, he really brings the most damaging charges against today's backslidden Catholic Church, who literally uh, reject the scriptures because they invent new revelations and, and all these heretical doctrines which ultimately rebel against God's holy word. And they, 20 you know, they institute the veneration of the st statues and they, the saints, the prayers to the dead, the exaltation and the veneration of Mary, uh, the rosary, the creation of this mythical place called purgatory, and the exaltation of the pope, the sacramental priesthood, and, and, and all these other things that they do that are totally contrary to the Old Testament teachings. And, you know, God is not divided against himself, but the, the, the teachings that the, the Catholic Church calls new revelation are in direct conflict to the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, the writings that Paul quotes that, and he tells uh, Timothy that they're good for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And I'll end right there. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, uh, we're looking at about a quarter of the way done within our hour. I got till 12 a.m., so uh, we got about 45 minutes left. Just want to welcome uh, Matthew Lush here. Dude, he has like the number one show on all of Stickham. It's, it's so awesome to have you here, my friend. Thank you for coming by. I feel so honored. I feel like we have a movie star in our midst. So don't everybody blow him up at once, but he is here visiting us. And uh, just good to have you over, man. And, of course, if you can't devote yourself to chat, then you just do whatever you do. Just wanted to welcome you here and let you know that we're appreciative that you're here. Okay, we got about 45 minutes left. Um, do you guys want to ask these, uh, these guys some questions? 
If you do, prepare to put them up because I'm going to give them uh, the, the, the last three minutes of this part of the discussion. Um, we'll go with uh, St. Michael, and then I'll close up the three minutes, and then I'll let uh, Pastor Troy and Michael start taking questions. So if you guys can just kind of chill and uh, come up with some questions, we're going to give you a chance to uh, throw them at these guys. So, uh, St. Michael, this is kind of like the conclusion of uh, what you've been saying, just so now we can open it up because, of course, this is an interactive forum. We don't want to bore everybody. So kind of sum it all up, and uh, and then we'll go to questions. Three minutes. You're on. Yep, sure. Uh, well, uh, I want to say first that I think this whole discussion has been uh, uh, something that we can learn from, but I want to say that it was based on one faulty assumption, which I never got to fully, uh, which was, of course, the Church Fathers unanimously witnessed through uh, apparently a not-so-Catholic message. Uh, I would wonder uh, if you've ever actually read the Church Fathers, if you say something like that, because I'd say the Church Fathers are very solidly Catholic. Uh, and I'd also like to point out that Pastor uh, Raven there has already uh, pulled back from his initial claim and has said uh, he is no longer upholding, apparently, the inspiration of the New Testament and has just said that the Old Testament is the only inspired word. Somehow the inspiration of the Old Testament proves the inspiration of the New, but of course he's using, of course, a quote from St. Paul, which is the New Testament. His logic has become very, very circular. Uh, and he's moved on to all these particular claims of how we're violating the Old Testament, but of course that's the very question, is whether or not we are violating the New Testament, the Old Testament. Uh, I mean, for example, the Jews would hold that we are violating the, New, the Old Testament in Christ. So I think that's a very, very big fallacy on his part, and it doesn't really prove a great deal. Uh, so when he says, for example, the uh, Roman Catholic Church practices whatever idolatry, priesthood, uh, rosaries, uh, and uh, I just thought he said that the Old Testament condemned priesthood. Now I wonder where exactly the, what that was. When it was between, was it maybe between when Moses instituted the priesthood under the command of God, or you know later when the priests were carrying the Ark of the Covenant and offering sacrifice? I don't know exactly where God condemned priesthood. Uh, we consider, of course, the new priesthood of Jesus Christ to have fulfilled and be a completion of the Old Testament priesthood. So I think that's a very silly idea. Uh, and in terms of, he says, the earliest church fathers unanimously were in assent to Scripture, which is clearly and utterly false. The earliest fathers were not in agreement as to what Scripture was. The only thing I'd say they were probably in agreement on was the four Gospels, uh, but, for example, Revelation was not clearly accepted for a long time, as was the letter to the Hebrews. It wasn't unanimously accepted. You can look up the Muratorian Canon or the early synods uh, of Rome, which had many of those various uh, uh, things. But in terms of if you want me to talk about whether or not there's a hierarchical church, I'd ask you to read the uh, letters to Timothy, uh, where it clearly talks about the bishops, deacons, and priests, uh, the presbyters. And likewise, I have the uh, fathers here, uh, and I have, of course, uh, you know, the, let's see, I am in, uh, this is the Didache, of course, talks about that. Uh, and that was written about 10, uh, when was that written? That was very early. That was, uh, we're not exactly sure about the 100s. Let therefore for yourselves bishops and deacons worthy of the Lord. Um, 15 seconds. You know, even the, uh, the, the papacy is in many ways, uh, of course, uh, reflected in the New Testament, in the, uh, in the Fathers. So, for example, we have early references. Uh, from um, Ignatius of Antioch and Clement of Rome, okay, that's your time. both ascribed the papacy uh, universal primacy due to the uh, okay. That's primacy three minutes, of Saint sir. Peter. That's that's been three oh. minutes. 
Okay, you, you should probably... Okay, well, there you go. You okay, can look you, it up later, but sure. thank you. No problem. Just stick around. We're going to get to questions here in just a second, so stick around. Everybody that's on the uh, the show tonight, welcome. This is What Do You Believe? My name is Pastor Joe, a pastor of a great church here in uh, Chicago called Metro Praise. The show's called What Do You Believe? We like to get out there what other people believe. Uh, I am a Christian, and tonight uh, I have a Christian friend with me, uh, well, well, two men that are Christians, actually, Raven Team and uh, a man named St. Michael, and we're discussing uh, the difference between the Protestant faith and the Catholic faith, and we've kind of reduced it down to this one simple argument. Is the Bible alone the final authority, or is the Bible plus the Roman Catholic Church the final authority? Okay, so it's good to see everybody here. Now get your questions ready. I'm going to give my final three minutes, and then we're going to get to some questions. And then if these guys want to go back at it, uh, back and forth, or if there's not a lot of questions, we'll, we'll do that. So let's uh, give the last three minutes here to the, Pro- the Protestant side. Okay, my friend. You, you have made a lot of uh, big claims that we're not doing things correctly here in this debate in the sense of answering your, your questions. And I want to be very honest with you. We have answered all of your questions. Go back and listen to this tape, and I'm going to repeat the very first things I brought to you. When Second Thessalonians 2.15 said that there were traditions, I asked you for those traditions to be shown to us that were not in the written Bible. What we have just said to you is that the Bible contains everything we need. You are saying that there are traditions outside of that Bible. What Pastor Troy is giving you is examples of those traditions. We are asking you to show us that those traditions that Paul was referring to are not the same traditions that he was possibly speaking to Timothy, because this is Second Thessalonians. So that tradition of appointing elders and deacons could be very much well what he was referring to. So for you to make the assertion that he is referring to other traditions, you yourself have to prove that. You did not. The second thing is you keep going back to this canon. I explained it to you very clearly and very simply. Just because people were in an authoritarian church and they were organized does not mean they had a hierarchical structure, which you would call today the Roman Catholic Church. I asked you to prove that, and then you went back to me by saying, you need to read the Church Fathers. No, 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 my friend. I've read the Church Fathers. It is your assertion once again. You need to show that the Church Fathers are doing exactly what you are saying now we must do as Roman Catholics, and you will not find that. You will find that Christians are operating very similar to how we are operating now, through the authority of the Scripture, through calling men and women of God who appeal to the scripture, not through authoritarian, not through ad authority. That is a fallacy. And now that brings to the third point. You're saying that the New Testament cannot be scripture until a Roman Catholic says it's scripture. That is so ridiculous. This, listen to how that sounds. When Jesus was talking, that was the word. We didn't need the Roman Catholic Church to come and tell us that was the word. That was the word. And when men like Paul spake and said, I'm speaking on behalf of God, that was the word. Then when men of God, not Roman Catholic men, but men of God recognized that, that became our canon. 
Okay, it wasn't a Roman Catholic thing. It was a Christian thing. By the way, that's what we are. We embrace the patristic fathers. So for you to say we can't have a canon without the Roman Catholic Church, you have to prove that. And then the third thing, going to our scripture of Paul saying that this is how we view scripture, you denied the very point that Pastor Troy was trying to bring up. You missed it. The point was, even if he was referring to the Old Testament, Scripture on the authority of him being a called apostle. Once again, we didn't need the, uh, the Catholic Church to say Paul was called. He said he didn't need to go to Galatians to have that authority given to him. It was already given by God. So whenever he was speaking, that was on behalf of God. If he was referring to the Old Testament only, it still was for all good works, which you say the Roman Catholic Church has to help us define all good works. But to let you know that he was not referring only to the Old Testament scriptures, but that he was referring to the New Testament scriptures, which he, by the way, he didn't need a Roman Catholic Church to affirm they were the scriptures. You see Peter himself, and I know you would love it to be Peter because he's the so-called Pope, but Peter himself affirms that Paul's writings are the scriptures. He doesn't make them scripture. He affirms. He says, as it is also in all his epistles, speaking of these things in which some, uh, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they are unlearned and unrest, uh, unstable rest, as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. So closing, we have shown the listener that the Bible comes from God and is all that we need. When the prophet spoke it, he didn't need the Jewish faith to get behind him and say, this is a word from God. No, it was to obey, to be obeyed in the Old Testament. When Jesus came, he didn't need a body of people to confirm his words. It was the word of God. And when the apostles spoke, the people of that time had a choice to take it as the word of God or leave it. But when it was taken as the word of God, that was the rule of faith. That was all they needed for good works. Thus says Paul, thus says Jesus, thus says Peter. So the church doesn't have the right to be the final authority. It operates with the final authority, the word of God. Bada bing, bada boom. All right. So for the doctrines that were brought up today that had no answer, this is what we say to my friend. We don't want you to leave, but I want you to stick around. But you gave us no answer. So we're going we, we ain't going to come back to the Roman Catholic Church. We're going to keep going forward with Jesus. Goodbye. Okay, so now if anybody has any questions, go ahead and put them up right now. We're going to go three minutes to three minutes, and we're going to see if my friend can convince us through the word the things that were brought up tonight. And uh, you can bring this as far off the subject as you want because it's a big subject, and we're here to have some fun. But please, if you can, try to stay on the subject. If you got a big question that's off the subject, we'll, we'll help you tonight. But if you could please stay within the subject, we would really appreciate that. So I am looking for questions as the questionnaires are typing away. Okay. Somebody already has one off topic. Does anybody have one on topic? On topic. And I see St. Michael uh, sending up links. And, brother, you know, once we get to that point, we, we've lost everything when it comes to a, uh, a real debate, a polemic debate.
Because uh, there's this no, really no, no, no. I was just uh, I was just putting those up. Those are references in case anyone wants to look at what we believe later. Okay. Uh, so they can go find my argument. So okay, good. Go. I have somebody asking about where the Rational Response Squad is. I don't know. Rich said he would be here. He's not. And I've made excuses for him last time, but this time I think it just shows lack of responsibility. And uh, I will not set up another debate with him uh, on my time. So that is what I'll do. If Rook or Sapient wants to get down, we will give them another chance. But uh, with Rodriguez, we're not going to be able to do that. Okay, here we go. Impact Too Cool says, I have a question. Every human follows their own system of natural morality. We become shaped by our own societies by defining what is morally right, morally wrong to uphold a good society. So excluding any form of text, can you logically explain how one sect of morality can possibly be the same for every individual of every society to have ever existed? And if we couldn't have gotten more off the subject, there's the question that takes us flying off the subject. So before we just fly off the subject, and by the way, Impact, good question. I love that question. I think everybody here, guys, you agree that's a good question, right? It's not a bad question, right? Just off the subject, though. Okay, so, guys, does anybody have a question on the subject? Which is funny, guys, who are listening, uh, you know, Michael and Raven. This is how it is when we debate. They're, they've been chatting about things that have nothing to do with what we're talking about. And now they're like, huh? What, 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 what do they want from me now? <laughs> they, they want a question? No, I'm kidding. I know some of you are just shy. Okay, any questions? Because if not, I'll start moderating between the two with questions because I have tons of questions. Why are you debating the subject? It's a never-ending debate. Okay, that's a great question. Why are we debating it? Because one is asserting, according to the councils of the Catholic Church, the one here, my Catholic friend, is asserting that really, if he follows those councils, we don't even have salvation. So wouldn't you agree with that, St. Michael? Um, that uh, uh, Well, I would say that the question is, are you following the true word of God uh, are you following the correct interpretation of Scripture, or are you following an imagination of your own devising? Okay, so, so do you, do you, uh, I yeah. would say that, yep, the councils and the teaching of the Church is the accurate interpretation of the Bible. Okay, well, let's ask you a real specific question, then. Let's, let's just put it to where we can all understand it, okay? Today, I follow the Bible. You hear the way I'm following the Bible. You can read my doctrines on my website according to the councils and what the Pope has spoken with the bishops. Am I just as much of a Christian as you? Not your personal opinion, but according yeah, to the Catholic tradition. Am I as much of a Christian? The first part is according to what has been discussed in councils, according to the Catholic Church, is Joe Y. Rostick as much of a Christian as you? Yes or no? Well, it depends what you mean by a Christian, because, of course, you're a Christian. You believe in Christ, so I'd call you a Christian. Uh, and I'd assume you're baptized, which makes you uh, even, you might be surprised, we would consider you, in fact, part of the Catholic Church, even though you're divided from it uh, by reason of your, you know, lack of assent and so forth, but you are uh, incorporated into the body of Christ, even though you're, you're cut off, so to speak, by your, your particular, uh, uh, you know, beliefs and so forth, but... Uh, you know, I would say you are Christian. I'd say you, you don't have the fullness of truth. You don't have what Christ wants you to have. You don't have the fullness of grace uh, in terms of all the means Christ has given you in the church. Uh, you don't have the teaching of the church uh, to help guide you into a correct interpretation of Scripture. Uh, but in terms of being a Christian, well, I mean, the word Christian applies. 
uh, you're just not, I guess, if you want to use the term, uh, the one, the, 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 the Christian God wants you to be. Okay, and uh, Pastor Troy, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> really, what do you say about that, brother? He's, you know, he follows the heresies of the Catholic Church, and that's what he's going to say. And so, really, I don't even see a debate in that statement. Well, I, I do. If you, if you don't, I'll, I'll take that for my three minutes here. Yeah, go, uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely. Have no interest in debate. Okay, well, I, I, I do. Uh, first of all, according to the Scripture itself, I am saved by grace through my faith in Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2. And so that alone saves me. And uh, for you to say that if I am not as well of a Christian as I could be because I'm part, not a part of the Catholic Church, then I think you, my friend, misunderstand what the word church is, ecclesia in the Greek, and how it applies to Christians or uh, to believers in the Bible. And as a matter of fact, the term Christian is only used uh, about twice. The, uh, the word believer is only used about three times, but the word disciple is used over 260 times. And so, yes, you, you may pay me a compliment by saying that I am somehow a, a, an, an adherer of Christ, so I can check that off on my taxes, but really, you would know that I am not a good disciple of Christ. And, uh, of course, I say the same about you, and, and for the opposite reason. I say because you have embraced the Catholic Church. You say because I have not embraced the Catholic Church. But I say this, if we go to Jesus' teachings, if we go to Paul's teachings, which, by the way, we didn't need a group of people to tell us that these were authoritative, we get our answer. And I think that's why, uh, and I don't want to put words in past. Pastor Troy's mouth, but I, I, I think this was maybe where he was going, is if you're disagreeing with what's clearly written in Scripture, it is your job to prove to us what is a higher authority than Scripture. If we both agree that Scripture is good for uh, us and it provides a path for us to walk on and it is the words of life, then we ought to both acknowledge them and hear what it's saying. This is why people, and everyone listen to me please, people say why are there so many debates within religions? There's really no reason to have debates other than other influences coming in and distracting us. If this man did not have the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church feeding him what he ought to believe, if he just had the Bible, he would have a solid foundation. Now, I understand you may say, well, there's 30,000 Protestant movements, but we don't disagree upon this on how a person is saved. Here's how a person is saved. Ephesians chapter 2, 7 and 8. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. He said that I don't have all the graces. Well, I think that's a lie. I have all of the graces because I have all of Christ. I don't need a building or a pope to have all of Christ. Neither Peter nor Paul believe that. And it says right here, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, my friend, I am saved, and I'm saved by grace through Christ in my faith in Him. And so for you to add anything other to that, whether you think the Catholic Church had to affirm Paul or not, the bottom line is Paul disagreed with you. So I disagree with you, and I teach people to avoid your uh, teachers like you because you're teaching them heresy, a different way of salvation. That's three on three. I'll uh, let you go next. What's another question we can put up here? Uh, Okay, let's get another question up here. If we don't have any other... Excuse me? May I reply to what you just said? Well, we go three on three. You had your three, I had my three. You understand? It's three on three. It's 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 uh, back. Okay. Yeah, and uh, if no one else asks a question, we can go back up to it. But I am trying to make sure 
that I, because I, when we talk, we may miss a question. Do me a favor, guys. If you have a question you really want to get answered, uh, instant message me. It message me on, uh, on you know, my profile so I can always have it sticking up on my page. Um, if there is not another question, because I'm not seeing it, and please instant message me now if you want me to see it, I'll let my brother respond with three minutes, and then if Pastor Troy wants to go on that, we'll give it back to him. So, okay, you got three minutes, sir. Oh, excuse me, hold on. Thank you, D- Demon Blood, and I'm sorry for you having to repeat your question. Okay, Demon Blood has a question, and uh, here it is. I have a question. <laughs> Thank you. If it, if it says in the Bible to not worship any other god but God, then how do you pray to Mary and John? Because isn't that like you are praying to another God other than the Father? So, Michael, I'm sure you hear, uh, St. Michael, you hear this all the time. Is it okay to pray to these saints when we would consider that idolatry? Three minutes, you're on. Well, uh, the fact is idolatry only applies to worshiping uh, things other than God, and in particular created things. Uh, as God, uh, and in fact we don't. Uh, in our prayers to Mary and the saints, uh, we do not consider them gods, we do not worship them, we do not give them what is owed exclusively to God. Uh, and in fact, their mediation and their intercession, their prayers for us, uh, are particularly only in virtue of themselves being saved by Christ. Uh, it is, if I may use the analogy, it is exactly the same as on earth, If I ask Pastor Troy here to pray for me, uh, that is exactly what we do when we pray to the saints in heaven. That is all we mean by it. And in fact, St. Paul says, I wish prayers, sacrifices, thanksgivings be offered uh, for all the saints. And, uh, of course, in Revelations, the prayers of the saints rise before God, before the throne of God. uh, And in many other places, the same things are said. Uh, So, of course, if we are able to intercede for one another, that is all we do when we honor uh, the, the people who are in heaven, the saints, as well as the angels. Uh, Mary holds a special place because we consider her the most esteemed uh, member of the celestial hierarchy of, of people, you know, uh, examples for us. Uh, and that's the second reason we, we venerate them is because, of course, we consider them good examples. Uh, and, of course, that's the same thing in Scripture. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, uh, Mary, John, uh, all the saints in Scripture, Peter, Paul, are examples for us to follow, and that's one good reason we venerate that. Awesome, and that was only two minutes. So uh, to be fair, uh, Pastor Troy, would you keep it at two minutes and answer the question, is it okay to pray to saints? And, and as you begin to do that, I'm sorry to pause you right here, but Rich Rodriguez from the Rational Response Squad has joined us. Rich, where have you been? Uh, we have moved on to another debate between Catholicism and Protestants. Protestantism, and if uh, if you want to let us know where you are, I think you ought to in a chat because uh, you have not uh, looked well the last two weeks for missing. So I would appreciate if uh, maybe you would apologize or explain your circumstances because uh, it's good to have you here. But of course, we we uh, waited for you and it was kind of awkward. Also, I want to remind everybody you can go to my profile page. You can see past debates. It's on MetroPraise.org, and uh, you can go to the sermons. And this one as well will be there. 
And so you can always keep up to what's going on. We have one there with uh, Rich from Rational Response Squad already. You can go to sermons and see that. Also on my profile page here on Stickham, you can go to sign up for newsletters, and I send out a newsletter every Tuesday on what's going on. And our format right now is Tuesdays are are, are Bible studies. My wife and I host it, 10 p.m. Central, from 10 p.m. to 12 a.m. Central. We just hang out, pray for Christians. If uh, you want to come and learn what we as Christians believe, you're more than welcome to come. We kind of keep Keep away from debates and really do more of a study than Thursdays, which is tonight, 10 p.m. to 12 a.m. Central as well. It's called the Debate Forum, and uh, we love to have different debates going on. We had scheduled today with Rich Rodriguez, Rational Response Squad, Did Jesus Exist? We have, he didn't come at a certain time, so we've moved on to a Catholic Protestant debate. Uh, next week, October 25th, that, the, the Thursday coming up, we have an Islamic debate. So please tune in for all of these things. Stay in touch either through our website and email and uh, newsletter and also Raven Ministries has their show on Tuesdays and if St. Michael and Raven team want to put up some links you all can do that as well so uh, Troy it's back to you hopefully you still kept your thought it is uh, the question is it okay to pray to saints our Catholic friend says you can venerate them what do you believe my friend well brother I just simply believe what the word says it says that there's one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus, according to First Timothy uh, chapter two and verse five. And he also says, "But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises." Out of Hebrews eight six and Hebrews uh, nine fifteen. For this cause, he speaking of Jesus is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption. Of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they were all called that might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And and Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that that's, uh, speaketh better things than that able. And, um, you know, the scriptures is very explicit. It talks about Jesus is the only mediator. And, you know, he brought up the, the point about the prayers of the saint upon the, upon the throne room as if that's in, he's implying that that they're, interce- they're interceding at that point, and, and that's just totally contrary to what that's saying. Uh, you know, the Roman Catholic Church calls uh, uh, Mary the, our, our, the co-redemptrix. It calls her the, the mediatrix of all graces. Uh, and I say the Roman Catholic Church does because there's just not a, sh- a shred of scriptural evidence that would even imply such a thing. And so it is an organization that is totally built upon heresy and false doctrine. And as far as I'm concerned, it is another gospel. And the, the, gospel, uh, the, the book of uh, Galatians warns, it says, If anyone comes preaching any other gospel except the one that you heard him preach, he said, I don't care if it's an angel of heaven. He said, I don't care if it's one of us. I don't care if it's the Pope or St. Michael. He said, let them be accursed. And it's, it's another gospel that they preach that's totally contrary to the word of God. Amen, amen, amen. All righty. So that was a good three-minute back and forth. Let's uh, go here to the next question we have from uh, Savior. Do the prophecies fit the Roman Catholic Church? Do they confirm? (laughs) I can think of one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, St. Michael. I'm laughing because I'm just thinking... (laughs) 
how would he answer that? Like, how is the man going to say, yes, I think the prophecies do apply to me. I'm the whore of Babylon. So let me read this without laughing. No offense to say, Michael. It's just how, yeah, it's just how crazy the question is here. Okay, so let me just clear my throat. <clears throat> okay, sorry. Edit that part out. I've got to be sophisticated here. Okay. Do the prophecies fit the Roman Catholic Church? Do they confirm it is the great whore? Three minutes, St. Michael. Yeah, well, I think that's just ridiculous. Um, that's basically all. I mean, it would, frankly, be better if uh, the Protestants went first, because, of course, they're going to try to say it applies somehow, I'm sure. Uh, however, of course, uh, number one, it hasn't. Number two, uh, I would say that, of course, uh, you know, the whole idea of the whore of Babylon applies properly to the Antichrist uh, and to his coming. There are many good books written on how those apply. Uh, but, of course, uh, the many different prophecies don't apply. You know, for example, uh, I don't know of any specific property, prophecies that, that are in there that would apply, that, that they're trying to reference. So I can't refute them right now. Um, for example, like the Ten Kings wouldn't apply, the two beasts uh, and the prophet of the beast. Uh, you know, however these apply is nebulous. I would, however, use this as an opportunity to point out that they're going to apply this in some funny and contradictory way without referencing Scripture. They're going to reference Scripture, but what they're going to do is they're going to use it in some, they're going to twist it. Okay, They're sir. going to apply it in a case okay. where it's, uh, you know, doesn't apply. They're going to somehow, uh, you know, point to how these Scripture passages would apply. But again, I Michael? would say that... One. Say, Michael, let me, let me moderate. You're exactly right. I do apologize, and I, I am choosing to moderate here, uh, and I'm trying to be fair. And I haven't been accused of being unfair uh, up until right now, and it was unfair. I, I laughed, and I took the seriousness out of the question. That was my fault. Please forgive me, all of the Catholics, and anyone who took that offensively. Please forgive me. I mean that genuinely. I was wrong. Uh, and then also, it was correct that it should have been geared towards uh, an affirmative side so that then you could defend it because otherwise you're just going after straws. So I will give you back your three minutes, but let's start with Pastor Troy so that he can give his three-minute uh, affirmative of why I, I, and I, I, agree, I think he's going to say that, that he would believe that the Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon. So if not, then I was wrong. So, so Pastor Troy, uh, please take your three minutes. St. Michael, I apologize. Uh, you're on, uh, Pastor Troy. Well, I, you know, I, I would affirm that uh, out of Revelation chapter 17. that He said, I saw the woman that was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Uh, if you've ever read Fox's book of martyrs, you, you'll see that, that many of those that, that, that were killed and, and were martyred were martyred as a result of the Catholic Church because they disagreed with, with much like you and I are doing tonight, Joe, with St. Michael. And they were burned at the stake and tortured. Fox's book and Mart Martyrs is, is riddled with that. But he, he goes on to say, and he said, that the woman that you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And, you know, many biblical scholars, uh, scholars speaking of eschatology, would, 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 would believe that that's definitely Rome. Yeah, I believe St. Michael, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he mentioned that that has to do with the, uh, uh, with the Antichrist. And I, and I believe that that's going to be twofold, that there's going to be an Antichrist which is obviously going to be a, a political figure, but there's also one that's going to be the false prophet that's going to be working in conjunction with that. And I believe definitely that the, the, uh, the Antichrist is going to be partnered with the, the, the Roman Catholic Church 
And when it speaks of the, the great whore of Babylon, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth, it's definitely speaking of Catholicism, who has been drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of martyrs, and history has proven that out. Okay, so now um, that was just a little bit shy of two minutes. So to keep it fair, uh, St. Michael, you have two minutes. Uh, is the Roman Catholic Church, according to what Pastor Troy said, the uh, Whore of Babylon? Well, uh, I would say first that it refers to a future um, future event. And second, uh, he is not right in saying that Scripture scholars agree with him eschatologically. Uh, it referred initially to the Roman Empire. It specifically talks about Nero uh, in uh, code words. Uh, so, uh, of course, scripture scholars would point that out to you, and your, your particular interpretation is quite wrong in that regard. Uh, in terms of drunk with the blood of martyrs, you reference, of course, Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is, uh, you know, I mean, it's a pro-Protestant work, so of course it's going to represent them all as martyrs. I would point out, however, that, of course, the church being persecuted when the Book of Revelation was written, and shortly thereafter, the initial martyrs were, of course, all Catholic. Uh, and, of course, the Catholic Church still has martyrs today, so either you're going to say, I mean, you're going to say, of course, they're not true martyrs, uh, but then, you know, I can say the same thing back, and that just leads us back into the first problem we discussed, which was how do we know which is the true church? Uh, and uh, I would say that you can't just use the scripture to prove that, uh, because the scripture can't interpret itself. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's that's where we are again. Uh, and I think that the, uh, the eschatological interpretations of Revelation don't have any basis in Scripture, uh, and they're all from, uh, of course, uh, you know, these, ex- these, these uh, imaginations of your own mind. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, again, this is pointing right back to Second Peter. Uh, no prophecy of Scripture is a man of man's private interpretation. That's just what you're doing. Okay. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Now we'll move on to our next question. It is from Demardana. It says, you should talk about the differences in the... Okay, I'm sorry. Here's the question. It's about the Eucharist. What's the difference between Catholic and Protestants in terms of the Eucharist? So uh, we'll let you go first, um, St. Michael. Uh, well, the prime difference, well, it partly depends on the Protestant, because, of course, Protestantism refers to a movement, not a particular set of beliefs. So, for example, you could have the Baptists and the Methodists and the Lutherans, and all three of them hold very differing notions of what the Eucharist is. So, for example, the Lutherans would tend to hold a position of consubstantiation, uh, but, of course, I can't go into all that because there are too many. The general position in terms of Calvinistic Protestantism, which I'm sure what do you believe is involved with is a strand of that, uh, which would hold, of course, that the Eucharist is merely a symbol. Uh, it does not convey grace. Uh, it is merely a remembrance uh, in terms of like a, a photo uh, of, uh, you know, Jesus' sacrifice, uh, and uh, that is all. Uh, the Catholic Church, on the other hand, would hold that it is, in fact, a representation uh, in the same way that the Passover was uh, of the, uh, it is a making real, again, of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, which we all share in. Uh, and we believe, of course, that the bread and wine actually become, by way of transubstantiation, the substance changes, but the accidents remain. That's a little technical, but they actually, it, it actually on the altar there are the body and blood of Christ. Uh, we consider that scriptural, of course. Uh, and I would say that the early church fathers, this is one of the most clearly attested uh, beliefs in the early church. It's in the Didache, Ignatius, and everyone else. The true and substantial, you know, presence of Christ in the Eucharist, as well as in First Corinthians. Uh, whoever eats and drinks unworthily commits murder, basically. So that's, uh, you know, onward to you, Pastor. 
Okay, I see that Pastor Troy has uh, left the room, so I'll, I'll take it from here. Obviously, we do not believe that it's the literal body and blood of Jesus. It causes so much confusion from that point on. Uh, how do you dispose of it? What do you do with it? What if it falls to the floor? Uh, why does it taste like uh, a wafer? How does it become flesh and not taste like a wafer? This miracle then has to become another miracle. And so where we as uh, Protestants simply refer back to is the Scripture and where Jesus uh, first took the communion and he said, you know, this is my blood and this is my body. Well, if we are to take that literal, why wasn't his body bleeding? Why wasn't his, his body with arms and legs? Obviously, it had to be symbolical. Uh, he said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, so does that mean literally I am a branch? Is that, is, that, is that what I am right now? Am I a piece of wood? Uh, I think when we interpret the Bible, if we don't use silly church traditions, and forgive me for saying the word silly, let me come up with a better word, uh, instead of using uns scriptural traditions, if we let the Bible speak for itself within itself, you can simply learn when it's speaking literally, when it's speaking figuratively, when it's speaking parabolically, when it's speaking symbolically, and so many other different forms of speech. I just gave you one of, John, uh, of Jesus calling himself um, the, the vine and us being the branches. He also calls us sheep. Does that mean today that I'm, I'm a woolly little lamb? Uh, of course not. And so when we go to the place where Jesus himself first gives us communion, uh, you can see it in the Gospels. You see here so simply that Jesus is using this as a symbol. And I'll show you right here within uh, Luke. He says in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, and uh, I'm giving you scripture, not just my opinion, because we all have opinions and they're like armpits, and most of the time they stink. So we'll just go to the Holy Word of God. It says in Luke 22:20. 20, Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, obviously... Is he saying that my blood is in that cup? How could he have his blood in that cup right then and there before he himself had even died? That would co cause there to be a contradiction, a conundrum. Now somehow there has to be one time at least where it's symbolic or the blood was there before he even shed his blood. So if my friend were to say, well, well that time it was symbolic because obviously he hadn't died yet, well then I would say, well then obviously if it was symbolic there, it's probably obviously symbolic every other place because it's never really going to turn into blood and flesh because then another miracle would have to happen where you're not actually eating real blood and flesh it's just a symbol of blood and flesh which is now two miracles or he would say no that's quite literal and so we would say well how would the blood of Jesus which wasn't yet shed somehow gets into that cup and then those miracles take place well that would be a point of confusion so here's the most easiest way to read that going back to that scripture in uh, Luke you can simply just see where he talks about the blood, it being a, uh, a symbol. And I'll show you where he actually says, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, Luke 22, verse 19, the scripture right before that. So what am I doing? I'm doing that in remembrance of him. Take, for example, the Jewish festivals. What did they do? They would sleep in tents in remembrance of their journey in the wilderness. What would they do? They would, they would do different things on the uh, harvest festivals and all these things in remembrance of God. Obviously, these weren't the literal things. 
the remembrance of water flowing from the temple during the temple of booze was obviously not the spirit of God, but it was a symbol of that. And here he says, and he took the bread and gave thanks and break it, saying to them, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. And I went way over, so you're going to have uh, some extra time. <laughs> Thank you for not interrupting me, but you, you would have been fair to do so if anyone else has a clock. Okay, uh, do we have any other questions? Any other questions? And then I uh, think we should let these guys close out with a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. I haven't seen any more pop up. If they've been written across the screen, I haven't seen them. Um, Let us end maybe with two simple questions where they could pose back and forth to each other. How about this? How should families be raised? That's a great question. But since we're so on subject tonight, I usually can take an off-subject question. But uh, since we're so on subject tonight, we're going to just stick with the kind of uh, sola scriptura Protestant Catholic debate thing. But uh, we'll get to that maybe in the chat room if someone can answer my friend, how should families be raised? Or if you want to clarify that to make it fit the subject. Savior uh, has a question. I think it's a little bit off. Uh, target, is it okay for uh, Catholics to be gay? Etc. Let's now go to what my idea was, which I think is a good idea for this sense, uh, to end this in a good way. Uh, our guests will go first, always putting our guests first. Uh, St. Michael, you have a chance and an opportunity right now to ask Raven any question you want, give him ample time to respond to it, and then to bring your closing point. So what I like to call it is the set and spike. Here it is. It's like you can set them up. You can say, hey, man, what do you think about the Bible and all this? He's going to answer your question, and bam, you, you end on a bang on what you believe. And then Raven Team, you can do the same as well. So set up a question and then spike your point on home, and we'll call this a good debate tonight, fellas. So, St. Michael, you're on. Well, uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head what sort of question I'd like to ask. Um, I suppose my sort of question would be along the lines of, uh, you know, if you're true, if your position is accurate, uh, I would just point out as a final closing remark uh, and question, there is a, you, for example, said the Roman Catholic Church didn't exist until 325 at the First Council of Nicaea, which I think is poppycock. Uh, but assuming that is correct, uh, I would ask, uh, would you, uh, there is, I would say, a church uh, that I could cite which has existed in isolation uh, during that entire period of time from the founding of Christ, Christ and his apostles founding the church until and past the Council of Nice until about the 14th, 15th century uh, or later, uh, which was never influenced by the Council of Nicaea. Uh, would you say then that they, uh, do you think they would hold uh, beliefs contrary to the Word of God, as you say it, or Roman Catholic beliefs, uh, or would they hold Protestant beliefs? Uh, and uh, I would ask you then uh, how to account for the, uh, they're the Indian Christians, the Thomas Christians, uh, who of course have a priesthood, seven sacraments, bishops, priests, deacons, the whole ten yards. Uh, and uh, I would ask you about that, so uh, please go ahead. Okay, let me clarify, and then Raven Team, I'm going to give you just 60 seconds to respond, and I'm going to give two minutes again to my man to, to spike it down. So 60 seconds to respond. If a church was in isolation from the time of Christ until now, what would it look like? Pastor Troy, can you hear us? 
Yeah, I can hear you. What was the, I'm sorry, what was the question? I saw your lips moving, but I didn't hear your voice. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, here's the question. you got 60 seconds to respond. The basic premise is if a church was in isolation between the times of right after Jesus left until now, basically, would it look Roman Catholic or would it look Protestant? How so would it be determined how it would look? 60 seconds. Well, I, really, I, let, me, let me just inspect this. I, don't, I, pr- I probably wouldn't look much like the Catholic Church of the day, or the Protestant Church of the day. I think it would look like the church that he left. It would be a church of power. It would be a church of authority. It would be a church of unity. It would be a church of love. Uh, it would definitely not be uh, uh, representative of what most Protestant churches are today or the Catholic Church at all, because I don't believe either one of them uh, on a wide scale demonstrate uh, the, the first century church at all. That was 30 seconds. you got two minutes now, my brother. Spike, home your point, and then uh, we'll let Pastor Troy have the final say. Okay, the first point is, of course, that there is such a church, which I mentioned, the Indian Christian, which do, in fact, they were in isolation. They never heard of Nicer, any of the seven councils. They had no idea they happened. Uh, however, they had clearly uh, and distinctly throughout their history very old documents, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, the seven sacraments, they had uh, even monastic life. They had bishops, priests, and deacons, uh, and a hierarchy in that way. And they had very Catholic beliefs. They even venerated the Virgin Mary uh, and lit candles, uh, among other things. But uh, all of these things uh, were clearly and distinctly present in that church, which did and exist uh, in isolation from the rest of Christendom until uh, virtually the present day. The second thing I want to spike home is, uh, I think there's something to be said for the early church fathers, and I think everyone should read them and try to be very scriptural, because that's essentially my point, is that I think the Catholic Church is the church described in the Acts of the Apostles, founded and guided by Christ and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I would say then uh, that I think that there is a bit of a lie going on, maybe a fudging on what do you believe. I'm sure he believes it sincerely. Uh, but that all Protestants believe salvation occurs the same way, which is false. Methodists, Baptists, he all have very different ideas of what constitutes salvation, and even so, I would agree with him in mathematics, uh, doctors, uh, you know, truth is essential, and what you believe is essential. And when all 30,000 Protestant sects disagree on everything from how salvation occurs to how we interpret Scripture, because that's essentially why they're divided, is they don't have a unified concept of Scripture and what Scripture means to them. And so I ask the question of Philip uh, and the eunuch, which is, how can we interpret unless we have someone to teach us, which is exactly why we need the ministers of Christ that Christ himself founded and gave them the Holy Spirit and said, the Holy Spirit, uh, the gates of hell shall never overcome my church. Uh, and this is founded on Peter. So that's, the, uh, that's, my, uh, that's my answer. What do you believe? You are an awesome man. Thank you for staying within the time frame, St. Michael. Let me just say this. You are a scholar and a gentleman. It's been a joy to have you here. Uh, of course, you can see this, these things are not uh, personal. These are things that we just love to discuss and enjoy. As you can probably tell, I also like to make our debates kind of like uh, Monday Night Football. It, it, it's fun and exciting. It's more of my personality. So uh, just hope you've enjoyed yourself. We'd love to have you back. And uh, you can check out this debate on my website as well. And uh, we're open to come on your forum if you do something. And we would love to have you come back and discuss the plethora of subjects that are in this uh, area of discussion, Catholic and Protestantism. So thank you, my friend. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If I had a little hand clap, it would come on now. Okay, Pastor Troy, it's time for the bump set spike. Uh, talk a little bit, give them a question, and then take us on home, my brother. I know it's not your first rodeo. Yee!
Well, I I really want to just close out with just really just uh, kind of give you my final point on the last thing that he said. How could there be a church that was in isolation? Uh, It's no different than the fall. I mean, the fall originated with the the temptation and the the seduction in the garden from one source, and that was from Satan. And I believe that, you know, 1 Timothy 4 tells us that there's these doctrines of devils, and uh, Satan goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he doesn't have to be uh, have his feet planted in Rome. He can have it planted in India. And so I believe that the reason that there's a continuation of these things, because much of the teaching of the Catholic Church, just as we brought up in the 17th chapter of the book of Romans, excuse me, of, of Revelation concerning the, the Roman Church, is doctrines of devils. And so Satan doesn't mind, you know, traveling a few thousand miles to... Uh, give somebody what they think is an original idea. And so really, I'll just close with that because really when it comes down to it, uh, if, if we could just go to the Scripture, uh, we could base some things on that. But because of St. Michael, uh, has the, the reason he's been taught these things, and because he's been taught these things, uh, you, you really can't uh, just debate these things strictly on the Word of God because uh, he relies on extra-biblical text and extra-biblical tradition. And I'll just leave it at that. Okay, well, let me make the bump set spiked. And wonderful job. My brother, let me just ask you a question. Um, if Peter was our first pope, why is it there's no mention of the word pope or anything like that? Because the Catholic Church obviously has to be founded on the pope. So I think if we're going to have an ultimate authority founded upon the pope, we ought to have references of that in the first 300 years. Why is his title never referenced as the pope until after the 4th century? Um, well, that's the same reason there's no Trinity. Uh, the word Trinity is not mentioned in there because it is a Greek term and it's not proper to, uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't originally used in Scripture. So, of course, uh, I would say it's, uh, synonymous with the feeling of Scripture to say he is the Pope. Pope just means Papa. It means he is the spiritual father and in fact, that same sort of term is used by St. Paul to refer to himself. He is a spiritual father, which is why we refer to all priests as father. Uh, but uh, the Pope is in virtue of being the successor of St. Peter and the head of the Church on Earth. Um, he has that title in the Supreme, so to speak. But he is, uh, he is just the Bishop of Rome uh, and succeeding to uh, St. Peter. So, I mean, the, the word Pope is not there, but it's clearly in Scripture that he is the leader of Christ's Church on Earth. Thank you. And the reason why I believe that is so important to discuss is because what is there is the Bible. What is there is godly tradition that's found within the Bible. And before there was ever this understanding of a bishop of Rome, uh, there was the understanding that the scriptures were all that we needed for life and godliness. And uh, someone's echoing, so could you please uh, mute your microphones? And this is all that I would prefer to know at this point because I can genuinely say that I am not convinced in any way, form, or fashion that I need to submit to a group of people that have called themselves the church of God, the only church that can speak on behalf of God, because the scriptures are the things that are perfect and infallible, and man, however, is not. And scripture, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So listen to me, my friends. If you want to be perfect, 
Go to the Scriptures. If you want to be thoroughly furnished unto all good works, go to the Scriptures. Yeah, we may not always agree on the Scriptures. We may not always see it eye to eye, but guess what? You can't go wrong going to the Scriptures. And if you need to understand the Scriptures, why don't you do what the Bible says within the Scriptures? What you can do, go to those who have studied the Scriptures and learn of them and follow people like Paul. And you will see that the truth of the gospel is so simple. We're saved by grace through faith. There's a judgment day coming one day. And it's going to be through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You ought to be ready for that. And He's not going to ask you how many saints have you prayed to, what church you go to. He's going to ask have you had a personal relationship with them. For He says in Matthew 6, Many will say, Lord, Lord, haven't we not done these great things? And He will say, Depart from Me. So I want to challenge every listener today. Go to the Scriptures. Search them like the bereaved. Did. They didn't take Paul upon his own authority. Paul himself didn't even get his authority from the church. He said he got it from God. And when those Bereans heard what he was saying, they tested it by Scripture. So by Scripture alone today is what what do you believe stands for. Mike, St. Michael, thank you for telling us for what you believe. Raven, thank you for talking to us as well. We love you in Christ's name. Be blessed, everyone, today. I'm going to put on some music and hang out a little bit. And, uh, man, just have a good time and we'll see you next week so guys stay on the phone i'm gonna shut off the recording